Well, it's been good to be with you this weekend. Um, I told Aaron I had every intention last night of reading the passage that we talked about, and I forgot my cheaters. And there was no way it was happening without my cheaters. So uh, the font keeps getting bigger, and the text that I use in my iPad, you know what I mean? So uh, I, need, I still need the cheaters, but uh, I'm really glad that you can go from 10 to 12 to 14, and who knows what's after that related to the font anyways. Uh, <clears throat> I heard somebody in the hallway kind of ribbing somebody, giving them a hard time because they, they weren't able to be here all weekend, and, and I know, I, I, all I'm, and he said, you know, it's sequential, you're just not going to understand what's going on. So I want to really quick, in a nutshell, kind of tell you where we've been, um, because I think today kind of wraps up our conversation. We've been talking about um, uh, what the kingdom of, of God is like, a question that Jesus kind of began to address, and we started Friday night talking about this imagery that Jesus gave his disciples, which they didn't have a clue what he was talking about, because he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds that then grows into this, he called it a tree, and really we know it's a shrub, it's an ugly shrub, um, and yeast, um, and he said this yeast that works its way completing it, its work when it's worked through the whole dough. And, and the, the, the significance for us in realizing that is we talked about that, um, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that God isn't limited to working in ways that I can figure out, that I can manage, right? So we, we should always in our lives be having almost these, these who-to-thunk moments, these, wow, I could have had a V8 moment, you know, where, where we realize that God does things he still does new things among us. Imagine that. God still works in brand new ways today. And I'm grateful for that. Um, because that means he's God and, and it affirms to me that I'm not. And, and the fact that his ways are not my ways. They're higher and broader and bigger and greater. And I'm grateful for that. And also the fact that the, this yeast that works its way for, through the dough, in, in situations that you face in life where it seems dark and God isn't present, you can be assured of the fact that God is in everything. He's everywhere, working all the time to redeem everyone and everything. That's who he is. That's what he does. And then we talked about you know, uh, the loss of our table manners, right, as people of the kingdom and how God calls us back to not forgetting our ethic, right, our, the, what we believe is very important, but somehow in the church, um, we need to recapture this, this idea of this gift of hospitality and recapture, re, reimagine, allow our etiquette to come back to us, the way that Jesus ate meals with people, and we talked about the fact that he didn't, he ate with anybody, didn't he? There are six key, key meal passages in Luke, and he didn't turn down an invitation from anyone. He didn't care who you were, friend or enemy. He just ate with you. And we talked about how some of his conversations in those meals weren't easy conversations to have, but the fact that he, by his action, was trying to show his disciples his desire for his kingdom and the way he would relate um, 
with people. And then we talked last night about this confusing narrative related to a classic passage that we will talk about, and I know Aaron will talk about it in three, four, five weeks, however far away Palm Sunday is from us right now. But where, where, you know, these crowds, these masses of people were around Jesus, right? And they were throwing palms and their coats on the road, and then all of a sudden they just vanished. And how the question that I have, related with every other question you can have around this, is where did they go and why did they leave? And the fact that we notice that Jesus going down the, the same road that David would have gone down when he came back from a, a victorious battle and he would take this road and people would be waving palms and just like they were when Jesus was riding that foal and then he would go around the backside and come into the palace and sit on his throne and celebrate his victory and that's really what they thought was happening with Jesus except he made a left turn and he chose the road of suffering instead of the victorious road of a king and fully lived into his humanity and went to the temple where he cleared the temple. And what part of the temple did he clear? The part of the temple that was set up, the only place where Gentiles could pray. The only place where those who were considered unclean and couldn't enter the temple, their space, they had turned it into what Jesus calls a den of thieves and robbers when it was intended to be a place of prayer. And we talked about last night how this left turn that Jesus made, this turn off the road of victory onto the road of suffering, which we know where that would eventually lead him later in the week, but reminds us that Jesus lived fully into his humanity. He didn't take advantage of the fact that he was God in that moment, but wants us to know that regardless of what we face, regardless, I thought about that family whose hospice has been called in when you were praying for them this morning. Can you imagine God is there with them? And Jesus is whispering into the ears of his father right now, letting him know exactly what that family is facing in this moment of grief because Jesus experienced it too. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad that we don't have a Lord and a Savior that stands off as a distance just as a conquering king, but he's a suffering servant who understands us. He gets us. He knows us. So like I said last night, you can allow him to be as close to you as he will come to you as close as you allow him to, or you can keep him away. You can keep him at arm's length. You cannot allow him to be as fully human as he intends to be. But allow him to enter fully into your situation and your condition to redeem it. Well, how do we respond to a God like this who has graciously made this move our way, who turned left, who modeled for us what it means to give our lives away for those who at times... Even the church has pushed to the margins of our society. What does kingdom living look like for us? I wish that was an easy question to answer. I wish I could give you three quick things and we could go this morning saying, all right, we know what to do this week, but you know it's not as easy as that. Um, I'm going to be honest with you this morning to tell you that more times than not, I think I've stumbled my way into my wins You know, um, sometimes it's been in spite of me, um, but it's been more about God's patience with me in the process. I've realized 
that I over the years have planned and implemented and discussed and designed and tweaked and still deal with the result that if I'm honest, I'm really not certain how that happened, but I'm really glad it did. You know what I mean? Um, it's frustrated me at times uh, because if you're like me and we talked about this too, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the ways the kingdom is at work among us. I don't want to miss the ways that the spirit is working. I want to be in tune with that. But I think sometimes I've missed it. His name was Corey. Um, and I, one of the things I told you uh, Friday night, if you were here as well, is um, um, my, uh, my life has been about youth ministry. So um, I'll apologize right up front. And this will be the last time I do this. But most of my stories have to do with teenagers. Um, and I am fully immersed in community. So um, everything that I talk about is community. So I, I talk about the difficulties sometimes that I have in coming and kind of being a, you know, doing what, what your pastor has asked me to do this weekend with people that I really, I mean, I know you and you, you feel like you know me, but we really don't. You know what I mean? So um, this isn't easy for me to do. So anyways, there, that, that little disclaimer as well. But Corey was a sophomore in high school. He was in my youth group. He partied like a fish. He dated ladies for all the wrong reasons. And at least from my perspective as a youth pastor, um, he wanted to go on a missions trip that we were going to to Mexico so he could hang out at the beach in Universal Studios. I had no sense of what God was doing um, in his heart, how God was working on him, shaping him for his purposes, until I watched something happen on the last day that we were in Mexico that was a total shock to me. See, while Corey was there, we had been working for four days, and he had developed a friendship with a young man named Jaime, and I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure why I remember his name, to be honest with you. It's a long time ago, but we were building a house, working with an organization called the Moore Ministries that builds, builds houses for homeless people um, in border cities of Mexico. So we were building a house for Jaime and his family. And one of the things that we began to notice is as we left every afternoon, sometime between four and five, the stack of building materials that had been delivered by the organization sat there. And, and Jaime, when we would leave, he would say goodbye to us, he would wave, and the vans would pull away. And we'd notice that every day he crawled underneath the stack of building materials. Did this Sunday night, did this Monday night. So Tuesday I showed up at the work site with the... The or, the, one of the organizational leaders that was working with us, and I said, why does he do that? And he said, well, because if he doesn't sleep under the lumber, the next day you'll come to do the work and it'll be gone. So he has to sleep under there to protect the building materials for his family to make sure that when, when you show up tomorrow, it's still here. So every day, Corey watched this young man crawl underneath a pile of lumber to sleep for the night and wave goodbye curling up in a ball as we pulled away. So that last day we were there was a Wednesday afternoon, and we were all preparing to leave, and it was emotional, and we were crying, and, uh, you know, felt like we had connected with people as much as you can with our, our you know, speaking Spanglish all week, and, and uh, there was nobody there that really spoke good Spanish, and none of the Mexicans that were there that spoke good English, so we tried to communicate as best as possible, and we were standing up on a hill, the one house, we built two houses that week, we framed them in, and, and <clears throat> one house was down a little bit, but Jaime's house was down a hill, and so I was standing on top of the hill, and um, I noticed that uh, Corey, this kid who had watched Jaime crawl out from underneath the stack of wood every day when we pulled up, his heart had been moved, 
And now, now back in the day, I don't know if any of you remember the day when blue jean jackets were a big deal for teenagers. Um, they were when I was a teenager, and they still were for this kid when these Levi jean jackets cost 75 bucks, which was a lot of money back in the day. Um, something happened I didn't see coming, and, and Corey walked up to, to Jaime, and he gave him his jacket. Corey. Hard partying. Dating all the girls for all the wrong reasons. Corey. Now, there were a number of other students on that trip that I wouldn't have been surprised at all had they been moved to do something like that. But none of them did it. Corey. Partying like a fish. Corey. And I realized at that moment that God was at work in his life in spite of what I thought was going on. Because, see, this kingdom is one where we get a sense that God works through us and other times he works in ways that we can't see coming and maybe sometimes he even works can I say it in spite of us Um, but I need to tell you I'm grateful for that the fact that God's activity again isn't limited to what I see to what I know to what I understand but we can even at times sit back and watch God still work and just go wow thanks I learned something in that listening to what he says I want to read a parable that's familiar with to you all as I put my cheaters on you can turn to Luke chapter 8 I'm going to read verses 4 to 11 and it is a pretty uh, commonly known parable Luke chapter 8 beginning to read with verse 4. And I'm reading from the Kingdom New Testament. It might be a little different than your version. I'm going to read 4 through 10. A large crowd came together, and people came to him from town after town, and he spoke to them in parables. A sower went out to sow his seed, and he was, as he was sowing, some fell by the road and was trodden on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on stony ground, and when it came up, it withered because it didn't have any moisture Other seed fell in among thorns, and when the thorns grew up, they choked it. Other seed again fell in good soil, and came up and gave a hundredfold yield. As he said this, he called out, If you've got ears to hear, then hear. Well, you you know if you've been with me this weekend, they're trying. (laughs) Right? They're trying to listen. One of the things about this parable is, is, is we talk about the receptivity of the soil, right? And we should. The four different types of soil that Jesus describes here. We talk about the role that we play in helping even to prepare the soil, right? And we should. We talk about the dying and living plants, and we should. We, we concern ourselves with the attention that we give to it, and we should. We even talk about the hundredfold return when the seed lands on good soil, and we should. But I have another question, because there's something in the parable that sometimes we don't talk about. What about this farmer who wastefully scatters the seed, just kind of walks and throws it everywhere? What about this blatant disregard of where the seed was landing when thrown by the sower? What about his lack of concern about whether the soil has been prepared or not? Does anyone else but me care about how wasteful this person is? I live in farm country. They till the soil to prepare it for the seed. But this guy 
this farmer, he would throw it here on the carpet. There's nothing that's going to grow on this carpet, and it's pretty apparent that the, some of the places where he threw it, it wasn't going to grow there any, any more than it would here. The one throwing the seed, who is that anyway? Where is it landing, and why is he throwing it there? Doesn't he know the type of soil that is? Doesn't he know seed is not going to have a chance to grow there? He's the farmer after all, isn't he? See, this, this is a story of what has been going on to this point. Remember I, I, I talked about it. Sometimes Jesus' words are important, but also the actions and the stories that he's a part of. See, up to this point, the interesting thing is, as Luke tells it, the only ones who've been receptive to the seed are the outsiders, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the Gentile folk. You know, them. Like we would have seen that coming, right? The hard partying like a fish, dating the ladies for all the wrong reasons type of people. I mean, what if ever has God been doing among them? How has he been at work among them? Why would anyone want to throw anything their way? Maybe we got a little older brother attitude leaking in here from time to time, huh? And then the 12 that Jesus picked to be messengers, did you notice they weren't the high priest? They weren't the educated not a Pharisee or a Sadducee, but they were this ragtag group of fishermen and who knows what all else. This can't be the one we could have been waiting for then, right? Like I said last night or yesterday, whichever message it was, I told somebody I'm getting tired of hearing myself, so you guys got to be tired of hearing me too. But if his own cousin could send his disciples to ask Jesus if he, if he, if he was the one, don't you think these guys are wondering too? His name was Mark. Everyone called him Marky. He loved to play hockey. And his life fit the stereotype of a hockey player. He played hard and he lived hard. He wasn't a difficult kid. He never gave his youth pastor a difficult time, who again happened to be me. He just didn't have much concern for God and what he was about. He was on that trip to Mexico with Corey. He was dating a girl from the youth group, and I was honestly very concerned about their relationship. I loved Mark, great kid, got along with him, but didn't see any evidence of God in his life. Till one day I'll never forget. I had just resigned as the youth pastor of the church that I was at, and about a week after resigning, I got a phone call from his mom. And she said that Mark wanted to talk with someone, and she thought that it was best to talk to me. I asked her what it was about, and she said that he had some questions about God. She said she thought he was ready to enter into a relationship with him. Really? Marky? Hockey playing, hard living, Jolene dating Marky? So I was curious, somewhat confused, and I went to see him at his home one day after school, it wasn't long before again I realized that God had been doing something in Mark. I don't know when it happened, didn't know where it was happening, but he was pouring spiritual tenderizer on his heart. 
And we didn't talk long before I realized that Marky didn't want his life to continue going in the direction that it was headed. He wanted Jesus to rescue him. And I was surprised, but I knew what to do. And at his kitchen table, at 3.45 in the afternoon, on a cold January afternoon, Hard living, Jolene Dayton, hockey playing, Marky's life changed forever. He married his high school sweetheart, Jolene. And you know where they are? They're in Indonesia, serving as working witness coordinators for a missions organization. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. Man, am I ever. Glad that the story of Grace and Marky's life wasn't bound to my faith and what I saw. Because Mark's is a story of grace, and Corey's is a story of grace, and I'm a story of grace, and so are you. We're all here because someone was willing to freely scatter seed, even in places and times in our lives, that it didn't appear that God was anywhere close we know better don't we because it's the story of the seed and the yeast Philip Yancey in his book what's so amazing about grace said I love this I would far rather convey grace than explain it that's what Jesus life was about every time he talked about it they didn't get it so what did he do he just lived it he just lived it. <laughs> and he hoped that somebody would follow his example and live it as well. Jason Robertson, he's a professor in our School of Christian Ministry at Olivet. He shared with our student leaders at a retreat once three ways that we cultivate soil. And I wrote him down as he spoke, and I want to share them with you this morning. He, first thing he said was, confess our need and sin. It's interesting that it begins with us, doesn't it? Confess our need and our sin. Accept the love and mercy that has been extended to us. And then, and this is what we've been talking about all weekend, extend the same love and mercy in the same way to others. See, grace to the outsider makes no sense, and too often grace to the insider is just confusing. That's why Paul said the cross is, it's crazy and it's a stumbling block. It makes no sense. And that's why grace for us and loving, you know, you know, Wesley, what did Wesley say the expression of holiness is? Love. How did Jesus say that others will be drawn to you and know that you're my followers? What did he say? It's measured by what? Our love for each other. That's why I talked to you last night about or the, the, you know, yesterday about our etiquette is important. Our ethic is, our ethic is important. In the day and age in which we live, what we believe is certainly important, but our etiquette, the way we treat each other, is just as important. Grace to the outsider is confusing. God at work in Corey. God at work in Marky. God at work in Brian and Nate and Jeff and Rich and Brandon and Lisa and Jason and Todd, and you fill in the names of the people that you've seen God at work at over the years. 
and over our lives where we just kind of stand back and go, really? You're doing something there? Way to go, God. Because I didn't even see that. Her name was Jody. She just showed up one day at church with a, a kid named Brian in my youth group. And Brian was wandering from faith. He was nowhere near faith. Matter of fact, they met at a party in high school where what happens at parties in high school is happening. And she just started bugging him. She came from, her mom was an agnostic she came, her, and divorced. She was remarried, living with a guy who was an atheist. She had no background of faith at all, and, and Brian wasn't helping. And so uh, she started asking him, can I go to church with you? And he's like, no. His dad was on the board, you know. No, really, I want to go to church with you. And he's like, Joey, no, you don't want to go to my church. So finally, in, I remember some day in December, I don't remember which Sunday it was, she came and she was sitting with him, and I went over and I introduced myself to her. And it was a day, they actually came for Sunday school as well, and we talked about a re retreat that we had coming up for high school students. And she looked at Brian and she said, are you, are you going? And he goes, no. And she goes, well, I am. You can come if you want to, but I'm going. And Jody went on a retreat. And Jody gave her heart to the Lord. And Jody's life from that day on was changed forever. Not because of anything Brian did. Not because of anything I did. But because the seed had been scattered amongst soil that didn't look ready to receive. See, we think we know what God is up to and often we have no idea. We think we can predict the ways that God's going to work and then He always blows us away by the things He does. It's always better. It's always better that we... It's always better than we could have imagined. It's always in places we didn't think possible. It's even in people that we think are unreachable. And Matthew's account of this same parable, this same story, it's embedded in a chapter full of surprises. And one of them is one that I've already shared with you this weekend, this, this story of the, the seed and the yeast. And these, who to thunk? Who to thunk? God's kingdom coming in the form of a bush and yeast. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us the same pictures in this parable, that this God works however He deems necessary, wherever He thinks best, in whatever way He makes possible. See, this is, this is who we are as well. We believe that God is at work everywhere, in everyone, all the time, so that everyone and everything could be restored to a life in Him. We believe that. Does it happen in everyone? Absolutely not. We can reject. We can stand like this if we want to, or we can accept. Right after the parable of the sower in Matthew is the parable of the weeds among the wheat. Remember the response of those in the story? Go, eat, go in there. Weed out the bad from the good. The harvester, always the wise one, though, tells them to wait until the harvest because in trying to pull out weeds, you might also pull up some wheat. It's not always easy to tell them apart, he says. Let's wait until we're sure. And then it will be taken care of and made clear. So we think we know. 
but do we really? George Hunter, professor of evangelism at Asbury, says that 30 years ago it probably took five significant encounters before a person would accept Christ. Today, he argues, it usually takes no less than 12 to 20 what he calls nudges. Only a few times are we privileged to be the closer, he says. But we throw the seed anyways. What do we do? We talk about it. We live it. And we throw seed. We talk about it, we live it. We throw some more seed. You're just wasting it on that person, no. No, talk about it. Live it. Throw out some more seed. Not sure why you're wasting it on them. Don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they're up to? Don't you know what they do on the weekends? Don't you know who they date? Don't you know who they hang around with? Don't you know where they're from? No. Talk about it. Live it. Throw some more seed. I've tried throwing it over there, and it gets trampled every time. I know. Talk about it. Live it. Throw some more seed. They can't follow through ever. They're so bound by that addiction. They can never get this. They're 50 miles wide and an inch deep. Talk about it. Live it. Throw some more seed. Who are your Corys? Your Markies? Your Jodies? They have so many problems. Their home life is so bad. The relationships they're in, they're just a mess. They run with the wrong crowd. I know. But we're the kingdom. We're the church. We talk about grace. We live it. We throw some more seed. How about it? Are you in? Are you in on this? Are you in on being a part of a kingdom that is about an outward, gracious move toward a world that needs seed thrown in very hard places? We never need to wonder whether God is at work out there in them and in us. Thanks be to God. So I wonder, sure, let's talk about it. Let's live it. And let's throw some seed. Father God, would you shape us by the life that you live? Would you make us the people that we are called to be, who follow in your way, not in ours, who are driven by your agenda, not ours, who seek to understand your word and your ways, not ours, all for the sake of your kingdom and the glory of our God who saved us. And it's in the one who chose the road of suffering and a servant instead of the king. It's in his name we pray, the one we call Jesus. Amen.